tape contains a lecture given to the adult education class on Sunday, December 23, 1990, by the Dean of Christ Church Cathedral, Houston, the very Reverend J. Pittman McGehee. The title of Dean McGehee's lecture, given in the Great Hall of the Cathedral, is Christmas Spirit, Lecture Number Two. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the sinner cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosened upon the world, the blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image of the Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank, pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs while all about it reel shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again. But now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. For those who have the patience and commitment and discipline, the prologue to the Gospel of John will carry you through a life, this life and whatever remnant of this life remains in whatever we call beyond what we now know. That this prologue to the Gospel of John and all of its mysterious language it carries within it the essence of what it is that we now know and what we must know 
in the beginning was the Word. In the Greek, that word is logos. And we cannot clearly nor fully translate logos. The closest we can get is to say that the speaker and the word are one. It was what Eliot was about in his quartets when he sought to create a chaos and order it with words when he said that the dancer and the dance are one. This is not just about the common human utterance of word. This is about the essence of life. It is as if the source of all the mystery in the universe begin, began with something comparable to breath or wind. Seeking to order a chaos. Chaos does not mean what we popularly understand chaos to mean, and that is either random order or things not held together by a center, but chaos meant originally emptiness. And so the source of the mystery of the universe, the only word I have is wind or breath. It's the only word the sacred story has is wind or breath. But the primary source of the mystery of the universe, worded, creation into existence by breath, for it is the word that depends upon the breath, not the breath upon the word. In the beginning was the breath, for it is in taking that invisible, mysterious element known as we hear it in the wind, ordering a chaos, filling a vacancy, and allowing that to come across the intricacy of the vocal cord with the instinctual nature of mouth and tongue to form a word. But the word does not come into existence at the speaking. Because in the beginning was the word. And whatever word is worded was known when time was born from the womb of nowhere. To hear from John this morning is to hear some of the most beautiful language in all of human utterance. Because it carries within it the essence of the origin of all things. In the beginning was the 
breath. God, in the Hebrew poem, worded us into existence by breathing breath into this clay made of dust and mist. Dust, mist, clay, breath, animate. That anima, the soul, is dependent upon the primary source which breathes us into existence. Breath. If we were to image this, it would look as if God was kissing the clay, sharing the breath. In the beginning was the breath, and the breath kissed us into existence, bringing us something of that primary image within our own imagination. We're talking this morning about the incarnation that began at creation. And the incarnation is one of those doctrines that Christian chauvinism takes for itself as if there was no Spirit of God before Christ. As if there was no Holy Spirit before Pentecost. But from the beginning, this Holy Spirit that urged and willed life through breath, uh, kissing the clay, animating into human existence, this mystery known as being has always been. What's different in the Christian story is that this primary source became what he himself had created. The creator becomes creature, flesh. The word incarnation means in fleshment, carnal. The incarnation is the full recreation as if God had an image of what it was that he wanted to complete himself. A creation full of creatures imaged by the creator kissed into existence. Human being. In the incarnation, in the word becoming flesh, incarnation, it's as if it finally occurred to God what authentic human existence must become. God in Christ represents the possibility of authentic human existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
My Christmas lectures are not unlike the decorating of our home at this time of year where we go into attics and basements and drag out old boxes weathered and worn by years of being carried up or down, holding within them stockings that have been hung for years as containers of symbols of the enfleshment of love between human beings seeking the primary source of the Creator in each creature. And those stockings worn at heel and toe, stretched by years of stuffing symbols Carrying the remnant yet of earlier Christmases where the candy has stuck and been pried loose with the wool from the stocking ingested by children. My lectures are no different. I bring out this time of year the old stockings as containers in which we bring the remnant of things we know and know no other way to say. Incarnation in Fleshman. One of the old stockings that I bring out every year is the story of Bishop Cadigan when he was rector of Grace Church, Salem, Massachusetts, right off Boston Bay. He was widowed as a young man and left with three children, the youngest of whom was a male, under ten. One night amidst a thunderstorm off Boston Bay, with a wind howling, the thunder clouds making their own ominous and black journey across the bay had frightened this young boy as he was in the third story of a townhouse the rectory for Salem Church. Bishop Cadigan heard his son crying and climbed the stairs to be with him and held him and said, Son, don't you know that God loves you? Little boy said, Yes, Daddy, but I need God with skin on him. There it is. That old stocking still holds the truth as we take it out and hang it once again, God with skin on him. That this word became flesh and dwelt among us, born at a particular time, particular place with a peculiar set of parents. God with skin on him. The incarnation of God is the representation the representation of the possibility of authentic human existence. When God conceived of what it would do in his own process of becoming that would be completing to God, it was to have a creation. And within that creation were to be creatures 
And in some inscrutable way, he implanted within this mysterious fact of the human being the possibility of authentic human existence. It's known, deep down where things are known, what it is that we are to be and to become. Creation sets its own boundaries and barriers to that authenticity, but we know it. It is as if it's woven into as deep as bone marrow. It's in our cellular structure that we know. And yet God, in the fullness of time, became flesh, full of grace and truth. But that beginning word, that breath that breathed us into existence and animated us now becomes fully human God's self. The second stocking that holds something of the incarnation is the simple story, perhaps the best, at least the most memorable and probably is memorable because of its own simplicity. What is the incarnation about? Is it about God with skin on him? Well, it's also about direction. A little girl in the barnyard with her grandfather attempting to feed the chickens and the chickens had pecked their way through the chicken wire and were all over the barnyard. The grandfather said to his granddaughter, let's see if we can get the chickens home before dark. And they began to struggle to gather up the brood. And the little girl in her frustration stamped her foot and said, Dad, I wish I could become a chicken so that I could show them how to get home. It's a story of the incarnation. Martin Bell, in a poem found in the book entitled The Way of the Wolf, he says that God is like the Lone Ranger. We never recognize him when he's present, but he always leaves a symbol of his presence, a silver bullet. So in three images, old stockings that we hang by the lectern, we have God with skin on him, the doctrine of the incarnation. Oh, I wish I could become as one of them to show them what it is that I want from them. The little girl who wanted to be as the chickens in order to show them how to get home before dark. And God is the Lone Ranger. We never recognize him when he's present, but when he leaves, he leaves a symbol, and it is a silver bullet. Three ways to frame the incarnation. The prologue to the Gospel of John holds within it the essence of Christianity, what it is about and what we are about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but it's not just words as if 
We could capture anything, but it is the word that words. The speaker and the word are one, so that the word given to us is the speaker, the speaker's self. This is not a word that has come from the speaker. It is the speaker in a word. In the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The second piece of the prologue of John that is so powerful is this doctrine of grace. Incarnation and grace. If you take those two doctrines, spend a lifetime of awareness and consciousness and let them go, what will appear is an understanding of incarnation and grace. Never yet captured in any one story or symbol of incarnation or grace, And yet no other way to attempt to try to metabolize consciously what we have known all along, and that is this incredibly scandalous doctrine of grace. The doctrine of grace, which we must be most conscious of at this fourth advent preparation for birth, is not something human beings are able to comprehend. We can only experience and then find feeble ways to try to speak about it, to find words, but the words are not adequate to describe the experience. And grace is grace. Grace is that undeserved favor that we have been given by the majesty of having been called into existence. A question about grace is why is there anything? Why is there something rather than nothing? Is that undeserved favor that God chose not only a creation to complete the creator and creatures within it, but at a particular time and a particular place, God chose me to be a part of the completion grace, undeserved favor that I should be called out of wherever I was or wherever I was not to be conceived of. It's grace that I should be called upon to enter history and to live a life that is an attempt at authentic human existence. To be whatever it is that God conceived of when he conceived me. A 
I was not born from nothing, nor was I born for nothing. Grace is my beginning. There's my opportunity, there's my life from the beginning. Grace, undeserved favor. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace. We human beings cannot begin to be born until we see our life as significant, valuable, seeking authenticity. We were conceived of by God. Our conception came through two earthen vessels, a particular set of parents, and they too seeking authenticity amidst the barriers and boundaries to authenticity. And if we're doing nothing else, we are seeking together to complete one another in order that we might be and become that which God created us to be, to be in the beginning was a word. And the word was with God and the word was God and that is what worded me into existence. I am from the breath of God. I am God's word. And I am to fit into a story that was written with me to play a part. And the story will not evolve into its completion unless I be that word I was created to be. Authentically. It's as if there is a large orchestra and the one who created the score and conducts the piece is the same one. And that each chair has a particular part to be played and I am my instrument for play. Now the piece will go on if I do not pick up my instrument and play, but it will not go on as it was written. It will have to be edited. And since the one who scored the piece and conducts is the same, he will play it as if it was written without you. But in his mind, it will not be what it was conceived to be. Grace, you have a part to play. Consider the fact that you are the enfleshment of a word. This existence is not biological function. That there is something of the breath of God in our breath. It's what we seek when we try uh, to speak. It's what we seek when we listen. It's what we seek when we touch. It's what we seek when we embrace or kiss, it's to know something of that spark of the divinity within you, that word that you are. I want to know you, your word, and I want you to know me, and through that we can complete one another 
try to be at one time in history what we were created to be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace. We are grace. You are grace. Our attempt at the dance and the dancer becoming one is to be graceful. Grace is undeserved favor. Just the fact that you are, that God conceived of you and delights in your birth and presence and that you ought never have any shame nor fear about your existence. You were born at a particular time, a particular place, to become whatever it was that God conceived of when he created you. And you have no other vocation and your journey is holy. If Jesus' birth is about anything, it is that there is a possibility for authentic human existence. That God has come in flesh and that our enfleshment for one another carries the incarnation within it. The same one who wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, is the very same one who wrote that God is love. And those who dwell in love dwell in God and God in them. God dwells in you. God dwells in you. Grace is unconditional love. It is a love that has no conditions. All of these boundaries and barriers are human conventions in order to contain that which seeks to destroy us. The mystery of freedom is such that it must hold within it its own opposite. And that is being bound up. The binding up of us is in order to keep us from destroying ourselves before we can become that which we were created to be. And so we have the appropriate codes and laws of culture that keep us contained until we can become that which we were created to be. It is important, but it is not the truth. The truth is that we are free. And the boundaries and barriers that we have set keep us fettered to fear and shame. And if the gospel message is anything, it is that we are free to be you and me without fear and without shame. The Word became flesh, God with skin on it. 
one who came to show us the way home before dark, what it is and where it is that we are to be and to become. And we could not stand the full presence of God. That's why we are unaware of God's presence. And so we see it symbolically after he has left with a silver bullet. The incarnation of God, full of grace, undeserved favor, and unconditional love. That there is something rather than nothing, and that you as someone are a part of that something. Full of grace and truth. Whatever truth is, it transcends fact. We have facts that are unable to contain the truth, and we confuse the container and the contents. There is within the world that which orients us to the world and allows us to be within the world, and yet that fact does not contain the truth of why it is that we are here. Full of truth. The truth is what we seek and what seeks us and yet cannot be contained by any fact. There will be for you an obituary fact born. Fact died. Where is the truth? How can facts contain such mystery? Do the facts tell us the truth of your birth? Do the facts tell us what your parents felt, for better or for worse, about your being born? Do the facts tell us of your own mysterious struggle to birth yourself? The facts contain the subtle and significant hurts or scars. The facts contain that God dwelt within you. The mystery of this beautiful language is trying to communicate to us once again that these facts we seek cannot contain the truth and that the truth we seek cannot be expressed by facts. At this time, we need to know that this event that we rehearse is not limited to a particular time or a particular place that it's been loosed throughout creation and that recreation begins at any time. Yeats in his poem that I read as a parallel piece to the prologue to John about the second coming reveals that in every breath drawn and every heartbeat is the incredible possibility for beginning your birth again. That Christ, 
whatever that mysterious truth is, that enfleshment, that graceful offering that you can begin again at any time, is the second coming. It's why we rehearse it every year to remind us that because of Christ, creation is always renewing and representing itself. And that if you have arrived at 12 or 22 or 75 and have not yet tasted the absolute ecstasy gracefully found within authenticity, you may. That you can begin again at any time. That there is always a second coming, a new possibility. a new birth. And we're reminded by Yeats that even now, who knows what rough beast slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. Maybe the most significant thing we can do is to simply say incarnation Grace says it all, all that there is to be said. But this story is truly about you. If in your human journey this far, you've never heard a word before, hear this one. It's about you. Not some romanticized or sentimentalized story, but it's just about you. God conceived of you as much as he conceived of his own child, for you are a child of God. Not born of the flesh, but of the breath. Any of us who devalues our life is devaluing the very breath of God. Any of us who lives our life in fear or shame is living an inauthentic existence. God conceived of something when you were conceived. There's grace. All grace. You have a right to be here. The most majestic opportunity to be you. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Amen.